there are many things happening out there, and uh, which I would like to talk about tonight. Out there, of course, means in the world, uh, and I'd like to talk about it uh, tonight to try to offer some type of some type of a light guidance in terms of what I think all this is really all about. So. <clears throat> We have just been through basically a war. Hamas attacked Israel, uh, and they uh, threw rockets not only at Israel, the southern part of Israel, which is uh, you know Ashdod and uh, the different places they wrote and so on. But what was amazing this time is that they actually launched rockets at the center of Israel. You see Tel Aviv, and even Jerusalem, which is unusual, because even they have holy places in Jerusalem. And it was uh, uh, to such an extent where the uh, they had to close El, uh, Lud Airport, Ben-Gurion, because there were rockets being fired at that point, at that place. Like, Who ever heard of something like that? You see, and uh, finally, Israel, of course, defended itself and uh, took out a tremendous amount of military and even just targets, buildings, and they bombed the tunnels, uh, so many, so many different things that they bombed and took out, and so on. And then finally, they declared a truce, uh, a truce or a ceasefire. Uh, which went into effect a couple of days ago. And right now there seems to be, the ceasefire seems to be holding and so on. But what we are looking at is really incredible. What is going on? You know, we already had the, uh, I mean, we take a look at what's been going on since January 20th when Biden took office. It's really stunning to look at. Besides the fact that America is different, America has now changed with the radical left, the uh, extremist left, the Democratic Party, the liberals, the progressives. They have taken over America. And they are passing laws that are, are going to be severe for America itself terms of they want to shut down the oil so everything is rising because everything needs energy so therefore the prices are going to rise inflation is beginning and of course the border is a disaster you know uh, and so many things and they want to defund the police there's so many things that have changed America the question is what is happening but one of the things that has happened, you have the, which I spoke about, the tragedy of Meron, you know, where 45 people died. And I spoke about that at length. You have that. Then also you had in, uh, there was a Tish, Carlin, Stolen, where again the bleachers collapsed. And two people died, and I think 187 people were taken to the hospital many of them critical. That's another disaster. 
Then, of course, you have the disaster of the war, where Hamas has attacked Israel, and for the first time, like I said, has actually bombed the central part of Israel. That never happened before, you see. So we have that, and the government has failed again for the fourth time. There is no government. They have failed to put together a coalition, and therefore, uh, as I speak now, um, there is no government, so it's very likely that they're going to have to go to a fifth election, which is unheard of in the history of Israel. And, of course, as you see, there's a lot of things happening. So I'd like to give some type of perspective to what's happening and why it's happening. And if we understand why, I think uh, we can somehow take that into account and try to do something about it. Now, one of the things, and I'm uh, going to speak about this, one of the things that is happening, which really never happened before, is America's position about Israel defending itself from the Hamas terrorists. That's one of the things that are happening. Now, the incredible thing is the following, when you think about it. The Hamas is designated as a terrorist organization. That's what they are designated as. That means that America recognizes Hamas as, a, like I said, a criminal terrorist organization. And they are designated as such, you see, according to the law of the United States. But it's not only America, it's many countries of the world see Hamas as an organization that, of course, commits terrorism. So what is incredible is how can America side with terrorism? Because that's really what's happening. There are many people in America that are siding with, with, with Hamas and not with Israel, you see. But that makes no sense, like I said, because America admits that Hamas is a terrorist organization. So how can America side with Hamas uh, and against uh, Israel defending itself. That's the first idea. Second idea is Hamas is not a country. Hamas is an organization. You see, it's not a sovereign nation. So therefore, they are warring with Israel. Of course, Israel has a right to defend itself. It is a sovereign nation. An organization. Whereas Gaza, in which is controlled by Hamas, that's basically just an organization. As I said, a terrorist organization. So how can America side again with Hamas? Because it's not even a country. Another idea, that Israel is an ally of the United States. And as such, how can America side with a terrorist organization against Israel, which is an ally of the United States. In fact, it is probably the most loyal ally that America has. And it represents the United States in the Middle East. So again, how can they 
or ally themselves with Hamas against an ally. The uh, fourth idea is Hamas started the war. It wasn't Israel who started the war. It was Hamas, you see. So how could they, how could America then, again, the Congress, as we will see, side with Hamas? They started it. And then another point is that Hamas is committing breaking international law. They have bombed cities of civilians and not military installations, which is illegal according to international law. So again, Hamas has committed terrible atrocities, yet we find America siding with Hamas. This has never happened before. It is startling to see. What are we seeing, really? We are seeing the incredible betrayal of the United States, the treachery of the United States against Israel. That's what we're seeing. And the, it should be so obvious who is in the right and who is in the wrong that you wonder how can the U.S. side with Hamas, you know, and, and not with Israel, because there's a tremendous now rise of people protesting against Israel's right to defend itself. This is a tremendous act of betrayal and treachery on the part of the United States, which we've never seen this before, you see. Now, Biden, what has he said? He has basically made no comment for six days at all. And when he finally does make a comment, right, he doesn't condemn Hamas. All he says, well, Israel has a right to defend itself. Really? That should be obvious. What do you mean? You mean Israel needs your permission to defend itself? I mean, it's very obvious. Israel is a sovereign country that has been attacked by a terrorist organization, and it's not even a country. You see? Obviously, they can defend themselves. I mean, what is this, the brilliant remark, you see? So what, what are we finding here? That Biden is not coming out really condemning Hamas, and he's not coming out really what's called vociferously, means vocally, very strong, against Hamas. What, what does all this mean? Now, what's also amazing is that uh, Chuck Schumer, who was the uh, Senate Majority Leader, he's the highest Jewish uh, politician in the United States, he basically says nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, Schumer, when he was running for office, he used to say that his name is Schumer from the Hebrew word Shomer, watcher or guardian, and that he was an individual that would guard the safety of Israel. Well, where's he been? Nowhere, you see. So that itself is unbelievable. Now, what we're also seeing in America is the Democratic Party has become anti-Semitic. It never was that, really. <coughs> so we see that the progressives, the Democratic Party, the leftists, have actually become anti-Semitic. 
In fact, Bernie Sanders, who's a Jewish senator from Vermont, he has decided to try to bring legislation where they want to stop the military weapons to Israel. Would you believe this guy? I mean, is he out of his mind? All the points that I've mentioned, that they are designated as terrorists, they're not a sovereign nation. Israel is the ally, Hamas started the war, and that they're actually breaking international law by bombing cities of civilians, right? And Bernie Sanders has the goal, the unmitigated goal, to try to initiate a legislation where they want to stop sending military weapons to Israel? I mean, have we ever seen such treachery before? So that is the question. What is really happening in terms of the United States and Israel? Now, one of the ideas we can say, like I mentioned, that there have been so many changes between Israel, uh, between the United States and Israel. So one wonders what is happening. But one of the ideas which is important to keep in mind is that as time goes on, you see, what the Varsham seems to be doing, he's reminding the Jews that this America is not your country, you see. Now, everybody thought, well, America, as they say, the golden Medina, you know, where the streets are paved with gold, that's the place to live. And America is a democratic country, so nothing will ever happen to the Jews that is bad. You see, all the persecutions that have been done on the Jewish people will not happen in America. America will always defend the rights of Jews as citizens of America, and also they will defend Israel. All of this is falling apart. So in that sense, what God is doing is he's warning the Jewish people, you know, America is not the country you think it is, that even they can turn against you. This is what we see, you see. So that's one of the ideas behind this. Now, another idea is that because of the war that Israel is having, having with Hamas, anti-Semitism is rising globally. Yeah. People have been telling me there are tremendous amount of anti-Semitism all over where there's Palestinians, Arabs, or pro-Palestinians are beating up Jews, you see. All over, all over the United States. I just spoke to somebody who lives in Toronto, and this person told me that there's a march where she thinks it could be like 10,000 people are marching for Hamas and protesting against Israel. This is in Toronto, Canada. And Toronto, Canada has a, a very large Jewish community. But it's happening in many other places, you see, where there's actually protests by Arabs, pro-Palestinians, against uh, Israel. Even though when you think about it, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. Because like I say, how could a person side with terrorists? So obviously that's what Hamas is, you see. And they're not a sovereign nation. So 
What justification does a person have for siding with them? It makes no sense. It's almost like we're tapping in the latent hatred of the Jews. And all of a sudden, that's rising, you see. And uh, the war with Israel is being used as an excuse, as a pretext for the latent anti-Semitism to arise, which shows you that that really is what the world is, you know. So one of the ideas of that is not just to show the Jews that you don't have friends anywhere. You can only rely on God. That's it, you see. And it's not just in America, which just seems to be slowly turning against the Jewish people, you see. Uh, but it's arising everywhere. And what God wants is the Jews to return to him to realize that he's their father and he's the only one that really will protect the Jews. And that, in many ways, is the message <clears throat> of the anti-Semitism that is appearing all over the world. And we don't even know where it's going to end. See? Now, in this war, there are certain things which are incredibly dangerous and threatening. And that means that the window, the darkness, before the Mashiach comes, is really closing. One of them is what Hamas did, they never did before. They broke the ice. In other words, they would bomb, but it would always be in southern Israel. But for the first time, they bombed the center of Israel. Tel Aviv, even Jerusalem. That's the first time. Therefore, what Jews now feel, you see, is that there is no more safety in Israel. Because what Hamas has shown is that they're not afraid of Israel. Israeli military power is not a deterrent to stop them from bombing the middle of the country. That's a very threatening position. Because what it means is that they can do this anytime they want now. And they don't care if Israel retaliates. You see? So that's a, what's called a perpetual threat. That is very dangerous. So that's the first thing that has happened that is tremendously, as I said, uh, intimidating and threatening. But there's another thing that happens, which in my view is much worse than the fact that Hamas has now bombed the center cities of Israel. And that is the Israeli Arabs. They have rioted all over Israel. They have burned shoes. They have put cars on fire. They throw Molotov cocktails in homes, you see. And they have been doing this for, you know, throughout the duration of that war with Hamas. But they never did that really before. So what they have done is they have declared themselves really loyal to who? That they are loyal to the Arabs. They are loyal to the radical Arabs that want to destroy Israel, which is incredible. Therefore, the Israeli Arabs 
have become what's called a fifth column. They are the new enemy. So it's very difficult to see how Israel is going to defend themselves against an Israeli-Arab revolution, you see. Because now we know it can happen anytime, you know, and they can't even defend themselves because most people in Israel, unless you were part of the army, don't have guns. So could you imagine watching? It's like a pogrom, watching mobs come down the street and all of a sudden one of them throws a Molotov cocktail at your house. And what can you do? They destroy your car and so on. They destroy buildings and so on. So the reason why this is so threatening is because what do you do? It's one thing, you know, to uh, have uh, destroy Hamas. That's one thing, you see. But it's another thing to stop Israeli Arabs from revolting or rebelling or, you know, coming down the street and they're destroying all kinds of property and beating up people. What's Israel going to do, you see? So it doesn't seem like there's really a resolution to that new threat. All of this means that there's a tremendous amount of darkness. I mean, just take a look at all the things happening, you know, since Biden became president. And the truth is that this would never have happened under Trump's watch. It's only because people realize that Biden is senile. He's weak. He doesn't, he doesn't even know what's happening, you see. And they realize that they have nothing to fear from America. Because this would never have happened when Trump was president. Because he would immediately have confronted Hamas. Now that's very bad. Because it means that, that, that the, uh, the United States, which has always been the guardian to a certain extent of peace and security, is gone. That means, and that's number one. Number two, that the United States wants to remove the sanctions from Iran. And we know, of course, that Iran uh, wants to take Israel out. Iran is an existential threat. So how in the world can the United States do this? It doesn't even make sense. Especially when we know that part of the agreement is that by the time uh, in uh, 2030, they can legally make nuclear weapons. So there's a sunset clause. So the whole thing is insane. Yet that is also happening. And one thing you could be sure, when people see that Biden doesn't know what he's doing, and he will not defend, you know, anything. When they see that he will not defend an ally, Israel, that means all of a sudden all the people in the Middle East realize, wait a minute, you want to make, uh, allow Iran to become a nuclear power? You do not want to defend an ally? So guess what? All the countries in the region are now shaking in their boots because this allows Iran to conduct a massive war in the Middle East. So not only will that destabilize the entire Middle East, which will ultimately destabilize the entire world, because then everybody's going to take sides, 
oil, the oil flow will be interrupted. But besides that, the countries of that region, they're going to go nuclear. They have to go nuclear because that's the only way they can protect themselves against an onslaught of Iran. Now, could you imagine the Arab countries going nuclear? Well, that's an unbelievable threat, you see, to, uh, to security, peace and security in the Middle East. And we're sitting and watching. And guess who else is watching? I guarantee you Putin is watching this. So he sees that Biden is in no position, position to in any way stop any of this. So he can do whatever he wants. You know, he could take over Ukraine. Who's going to stop him? And I guarantee you, China sees the same thing, and they are going to take over Taiwan. And what's Biden going to do? Besides, Biden anyway is beholden to China. He's been taking millions of dollars from them for 30 years. So what's he going to do? We are about to watch a descent of civilization and it's going to ultimately arrive in tremendous growth of evil. You see, that's what it's going to result in. Tremendous growth of evil. So really what we're looking at is an extremely dangerous period of time. You see, much more dangerous than we had calculated before. You know, especially with the election of Biden. You see, and, and therefore, for the Jewish people, it's a very dangerous time. Now, how do we understand all this? Well, I will tell you what I think. I believe that I am correct. <clears throat> I mentioned in the sheer on the tragedy of Meron what that meant. So, if you want, you can review that sheer. But the problem is this. One of the main reasons why the Mashiach doesn't come is because there's a tremendous amount of Russian horror, slander, defamation, forbidden and evil speech, speech that harms another Jew. And because of that, there's a tremendous amount of sinas chinam, baseless hatred. And I had mentioned a while ago that what Russian horror does is that it allows the Sutton to prosecute measure for measure. When you speak Russian horror against another Jew, then the Sutton has the right to speak Russian horror about you. In other words, you initiate the judicial process. And that's measure for measure. Because when you speak Russian horror, you're really condemning that person that you're speaking about. So if you condemn a Jew, so the Sutton has the right to condemn you. And a condemnation of the Sutton basically is an accusation. It is a prosecution. It's a kitrug in the heavenly tribunal. Therefore, what's happening is because the Jews have created so much Russian horror against each other, there's a tremendous amount of kitrugim, which is prosecutions, in heaven, which is constantly bringing out the sins of the Jews. And since the sins of the Jews are constantly being brought out, 
Therefore, they need an atonement. And that stops the Mashiach from coming, you see. Now, if you think about it, this is Mida Kenegan Mida, where God says, you know, you want to speak Lashon Hara, Jew to Jew, right? And therefore, you want to create a tremendous amount of hatred, which is Sinas Chinam. Guess what? I'll show you what hatred is. I will show you, you know, that you're harming other Jews by speaking Lashon Hara about them. I will show you other people that will speak Lashon Hara against you and try to destroy you. And therefore, God enables, through justice, for nations to rise up against the Jews. That's right. That's anti-Semitism. Where all of a sudden the Goy, the nation, right? All of a sudden they begin speaking against the Jews. And that's happening all over, right? And they begin to display tremendous amount of hatred toward the Jew. And this is the classic Mida Kineged Mida, measure for measure. You Jews want to speak Lashon Hara and create sinas chinam, hatred amongst each other? I will do the same thing. I will therefore give permission for the nations of the world to do the same, where they will become anti-Semitic, they will hate you, and of course they will speak Lashon Hara about you all over. It's a classic measure for measure. Why? Because the problem, like I said, is that Lashon Hara, and this is in the Chofetz Chaim, and many other commentaries, Lashon Hara destroys the ability of the Mashiach to come. Uh, and I believe this is why it is happening. You see, because God wants to bring the Mashiach. And it's not happening, because the Jews prevent it by exposing all their sins in front of the heavenly tribunal, you see. Because like I said, Lashon Hara creates a tremendous kitro prosecution, and it exposes your sins to the heavenly tribunal. And therefore, God wants to stop this. But there is a kitro, the prosecution against the Jews, and therefore, measure for measure becomes the consequence. Well, the nations of the world now begin to openly display hatred for the Jew and also tremendous amount of damaging, harmful speech against the Jew. And it's happening all over America, yes, and it's happening really all over the world. So this is part of the end. This is part of the darkness that is happening to the Jewish people, you see. So that's basically the same idea. Now, how do I know that Lashon Hara can do that? You know? I mean, Chavetz Chaim says this and so on. But do we have a biblical example where Lashon Hara actually threw the Jews into exile and it invited nation to hate them, right? Even to enslave them. And the answer did happen. The classic example is Egypt. Mitzrayim. <clears throat> now, we know Moshe Rabbeinu saw an Egyptian beating uh, a Jew, and he killed him. And he hit him in the sand. The next day, this is all recorded in the Chumash Shemais, in the beginning, Pasha Shemais. The next day, he goes out, and he sees one Jew, right, hitting another Jew. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, 
Russia, why are you hitting your fellow Jew? So that person, these two people, Dustin and Aviram, so this person says to Moshe, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? You see? So Moshe Rabbeinu says a strange statement. Surely the matter is known. Now, normal interpretation of that is surely the matter that I killed the Egyptian is going to be known to Paroi, Pharaoh, because the Jew is now going to inform on me, subjecting me to the death sentence. But Rashi says, and it's from the Medrash, that's not, that's not what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Moshe Rabbeinu said to himself, why is it that of all the nations, why are the Jews so persecuted? In other words, why are they in Golis? Why are they in exile of Egypt? You see, this is what he said. That was his wonderment, his question, to understand the nature of the Egyptian and the reason for the Egyptian exile. Now this, his answer was this, Surely the matter is known to me, because I see this Jew is not going to hesitate to inform on Paroi or the Egyptian authorities that I killed the Egyptian. You see, so that's not only Lashon Hara, it's also Mesira. He's informing on me. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to himself, and this is what Rashi says, that the reason why the Jews are in the Egyptian exile is because of a tremendous prosecution. The reason why the Jews suffer so greatly, more than other nations, you see, is because of the sin of Lashon Hara. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu says. So what do we see? We see that the sin of Lashon Hara is severe enough to ensure that the Jews will be in exile, you see, for a long time. We see that from the Chomish. Now what's the logic of this? The logic is what I said. That the, the prosecution says, wait a minute, they hate each other. They talk Lashon Hara about each other. They talk slander, defamation about each other, and therefore they create tremendous hatred of each other and tremendous harm. So guess what? The punishment of that is to allow a nation to persecute the Jew. And that nation can display the very thing that the Jew displays toward his fellow Jew. And that is the Lushan horror that the Egyptians speak about the Jews, right? And not only the Lushan horror that the Egyptians speak about the Jews, but the hatred that they have for the Jews is also displayed. You see, that's the consequence of Lushan horror. Now, this is biblical. This is actually in the Chumash. And this is actually what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Surely the matter of why they're in exile for so many years is known to me. Why? Because they speak Lashon Hara. They speak, you know, slander, defamation, and they inform, you see. That's a very important idea that Moshe Rabbeinu realized. And not only that, because of that Lashon Hara, that Jew did inform on Moshe, and he had to run away, right? His life was in tremendous danger, you see? So he had to run away. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu was the Mashiach, 
actually had to leave the Jewish people because of Lashon Hara. You see. Now, what is interesting is at the end of the exile, after 200 years, 210 years passed, right? So God appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu in the burning bush, you see. And God said to Moshe, I want you to take my people out. And that obviously is the Geula, the redemption. <clears throat> so Moshe Rabbeinu said something to God. He says, you know, they won't believe me that I've come to redeem them. Essentially, he was speaking Russian horror about the Jewish people because he said, they won't believe me. You see, that I've come to redeem you, that God spoke to me. And that's bad-mouthing the Jews. So God told them, what is in your hand? And Moshe Abeno told them, it's a mater. So what he did is he took the mater, the staff, right? And all of a sudden, it turned into a snake. And then God said, pick up the snake from the ground. And Moshe Rabbeinu fled from that snake. So God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, throw it down, and all of a sudden it returned back into being a staff. What is the symbolism of this sign? Because what the Bansham showed him, you spoke Rosh horror about the Jews, that they won't believe you. Therefore, your staff turns into a snake. The snake is the representation or the symbol of the Sutton. That's right. You have allowed the Sutton to initiate a prosecution against you. You see? And that is symbolized by the staff turning into a snake. You see? But then God said, bend down and take the snake and it will turn back into the staff. So what God was indicating to him, a very, very important concept, that the Jews do not speak Russian horror anymore, which is astounding. What does that mean? So there's a Medrash. The Medrash says three times, The reason why the Jews were redeemed from Egypt, because there was, did not exist in them a Doturya is somebody who speaks Russian Hara. What God told Moshe Rabbeinu is the Jews stopped speaking Russian Hara. Let's see. Why did he tell him that? Because Moshe Rabbeinu, when he first told Moshe Rabbeinu to take the Jews out, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't take them out. Why? Because they speak Russian Hara. And as long as they speak Russian Hara, the redemption will not happen. That is why God is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu and telling him, right, that the Jews don't speak Russian anymore, and therefore the staff, which became a snake, has now returned to being, right, a staff of God. And he was indicating to Moshe that the Jews don't speak Russian horror. And that's what the Medrash says, that God was saying that the Jews do not speak Russian horror. And therefore, you can go and take them out. Now, we don't know why, what happened that the Jews, in the beginning they spoke Russian horror, and that's why they were in the Egyptian exile. <clears throat> but now, 210 years later, right, they don't speak Russian horror, and now God says, now you could take them out. Which means now the, not only the, the goals can end, the exile can end, because they don't speak Russian horror, number one. And not only that, 
but the Mashiach can come. And you are the Mashiach. I mean, this is such clear proof of why the Jews are in exile. Because they are constantly talking on Shinar about other Jews, creating a tremendous amount of sin or hatred, and opening up the prosecution by the Satan to prevent the Golis ending and the Mashiach coming. This is, the, 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 what I'm telling you is incredible proof that Lashon Hara brings the exile and it brings the anti-Semitism and it brings the persecutions. You see the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and God, you see. And this, therefore, is what we see. That is what is happening there. In fact, what is interesting, since we now know that the, by the way, the one who expands on this is the Kleyokar in the Chumash. So if you really want to see the whole thing, take a look at the commentary called the Kleyokar at the place where Moshe Rabbeinu, where God is speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of taking the Jews out. But in any case, therefore we see clearly that slander, defamation, informing, right, of, uh, uh, to, an, uh, to one Jew about another Jew. Because A speaks to B about C, and A degrades C in the mind of B. That's Lushan Hara, you see. In any case, uh, we see, therefore, that Lushan Hara is responsible for the exile, just like he was responsible for the exile in Egypt, because that's when Moshe Rabbeinu said, Surely the matter is known. And not only that, we see that the exile ends if there is no Lashon Hara among the Jews. Because that's exactly what the discussion was between Moshe and God. That since they don't speak Lashon Hara, they therefore have the right to go out. Because essentially what they did is since nobody spoke Lashon Hara, there was no prosecutions. Because 95% of the reasons why there's Satan, right, why he's able to prosecute the Jews in a heavenly tribunal is because of the lush and horror that the Jews speak one, one against the other. So therefore, there was no kiprugim. There was no prosecutions. And therefore, what that meant is that even though the Jews were only in Egypt, right, for 210 years, and they really had a hundred, another 190 to go, because that's what God said to Abraham Avinu, right? That they will be there for 400 years. So there was a tremendous kitrug prosecution. You can't take the Jews out now because they have not completed the term of the Golas, the exile of Egypt. So that was a prosecution. And the only way to stop that is to stop Lashonara. So therefore there will not be a prosecution about that point to finish up the other 190 years. So that's why they were able to get out after 210, because they stopped the prosecution. But what's interesting, there was a danger. What was the danger? The danger was, right, that by the Kriyas Yamsuf, by the Yamsuf before it split, Moshe Rabbeinu says, right, this Yatsuru, stand back and watch, as he assures Hashem, the salvation of God, right? Hashem Yilochim Lochem, God will fight for you, be atem and you be silent. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu say <clears throat> you should be silent? Because the whole reason why the Jews were able to get out after 210 years 
is because they did not speak Russian Arab. And now, by the splitting of the Red Sea, they were complaining and saying, because there was no graves in Egypt, that's why you have to take us to the desert to die. That's Russian horror, because they were questioning the justice of God, you see. That's Russian horror. So the Jews were actually in danger of reigniting the prosecution, you see. And that would have been terrible for the Jews. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu says, the Atem Tachrishon, you must be silent. You cannot speak Russian or against God, because you will be reigniting the whole concept of prosecution, and the exile will not, and the redemption will be foiled. You see? It shows you it's a beautiful inconsistency with the fact that they were able to get out of Egypt because they did not speak Russian horror. Well, what do we see so far? We see an amazing idea. Most people don't realize this. You see it from the Chumash. The real reason for the exile and why it's prolonged is because Jews are constantly bad-mouthing other Jews. And then because of that, they create tremendous amount of hatred. There's no achdus, you see. And the reason why the exile of Egypt ended is because they did not speak Russian Arab. Well, we have to take this to heart. The reason why we are watching a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism throughout the entire world is because the, that's the measure for measure. You know, you speak Russian horror against other Jews and therefore create tremendous hatred. So God says the consequence is, right, is that the nations of the world will speak Russian horror against you and they will display their hatred for you. And then you'll learn what it is to talk Russian horror. You see? That's the reason why we are watching this tremendous display of the rise of anti-Semitism, whether it be from America, Canada, Europe, the Middle East, you see, or for Hamas, and so on. It's a very important concept. What can we do? We must fight against Russian horror, because that's the reason for all of this. It was, it was the reason, as I pointed out in the Shir on the Mehron tragedy. It's also the reason for other things happening, for the war against, the, the, the war from Hamas against Israel. It's the reason why America is changing, you know. And, and uh, as a result of that, there's a tremendous betrayal of the Jewish people, which when you think about it, is astounding. Like I say, you know, how smart do you have to be to realize that, of course, Israel can defend itself? How can America, like I said before, you know, side with a terrorist organization that started the war? It's absolutely incredible. It is so obvious that what America is doing is treachery, but it's happening in front of us. So that, in many ways, is the underlying concept here. And the proof is from the Chumash. So that's what we have to do. Not, not only to guard ourselves, not to speak Russian horror, you see, but to try to teach our kids, right, our spouses, right? You need to learn the halachas of Russian horror. What is Russian horror? When is it permitted? When is it forbidden? 
you see. And that's very important. And whatever you can do to spread it is a tremendous mitzvah. And like I said, you know, could you imagine if somebody came over to you, the Chobetz Chaim says this, if somebody came over to you and said to you, would you like to donate a brick to the building of the Beis Amigdash? Imagine the Mashiach comes, the Mashiach ben Yosef, they want to build the Beis Amigdash, right? I mean, we're talking about the Beis Amigdash, the greatest edifice in the entire universe that will have, like I told you, it's the Beis Amigdash, the Milo in heaven, that will actually become physicalized and come down. And you can actually bring a brick down, right? And he wants your contribution. Would you give money? Of course. You would do anything to contribute that brick. Well, guess what? Every time, every Jew that does not speak Lashonara, that's his contribution. He actually sponsors a brick for the Beis Amigdash. Could you imagine what kind of reward that is? It's unbelievable. So therefore, we have to wake up. The Jewish have to be realized, the Jewish people have to realize that the greatest deterrent and obstacle for the redemption itself, for the Mashiach to come, is Lashon Hara. It stopped, right? It stopped Moshe Rabbeinu from redeeming the, redeeming the Jews initially. And it had to wait, right? 54 years, because when Moshe Rabbeinu left, he, how old was he? He was uh, 26. And he redeemed them. He was 80. So he could not do the redemption for 54 years because of the Russian horror. But thank God that we do not know why or how the Jews stopped speaking Russian horror. And therefore God then appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, you can take them out. Listen, that's all the proof we need. So take it to heart. Think about it. Learn the laws of Russian horror. Try to spread the concept. But I believe definitively that this is really what's going on. You know. Now, of course, there are other ideas included. Whatever God does is always multi-deterministic. Because obviously included in this is what I said, that we are now realizing that America is not the promised land and neither is anywhere else in the world, you see. That in the end, only God can protect us, you see. And the only place is Israel. But in order for that to happen, you must get rid of the air of Rav. And that's what's happening in Israel. God will not allow a government of the air of Rav to rule over Israel. And they have failed four times. But they don't realize that this is the beginning of the end of the air of Rav. For those Jews that want to destroy Judaism, you see. And... Uh, this is what's happening. So let us hope, right, that the Jewish people will merit, finally, to get out of the exile, right, with the Mashiach ben Yosef, and then, of course, the Mashiach ben David, and that the, the uh, revelation of the Shekhinah will definitely happen. And we will finally be able to cling and become part of God once again. Any questions? So nobody stops speaking Lashon Hara and we're never going to get redeemed because of the people who speak? Well, ultimately speaking, what's going to do it is Yisurin. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, suffering. You see? 
but people on the people don't correlate the yisurim with lashon hara. You're right. Exactly. You don't. Correct. You don't. Now, what's interesting is we don't really know how that happened in Egypt. Somehow, the Jewish people realized that the reason why they can they're, they're in this terrible exile called Egypt is because of the lashon hara that they speak. Somehow they realized that. We don't know how. Maybe there was somebody going around preaching that the reason why you are in exile, like Moshe Rabbeinu said, surely the matter of why the Jews are in exile is because they speak Lashon Hara. Well, could be somebody went around, because Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't in Egypt for 54 years, and somehow uh, was able to convince the Jews, you know, uh, not to speak Lashon Hara. You know, it could be also because of their suffering. Because when people suffer, they're less inclined to uh, disparage their neighbor because they themselves are suffering, you know, in that sense. They don't have time to badmouth their neighbor. But in any case, that's one of the mysteries. We do not know. But the Medrash says this, that it happened three... There's three Medrashim that say this. Very important concept. Yeah. It would be great if more people knew this. It's very true. How long do you feel, Rav, that this Yisurim will last for? How long the what? Well, do you think the Yisurim will last for? Well, I, I believe that the, the, the Gullus is has been for so long, 2,000 years of exile, and it has been so severe... I mean, we're looking at pogroms and inquisitions and persecutions and expulsions and holocausts. It's just incredible what the Jews have been through. Uh, I believe that we are really at the end. Uh, we at are the really end, like the another end. year? Well, I'm hoping even this year that something uh-huh. radical will happen. You know, um, look, who would ever believe that America would turn around and become another country. I mean, who would ever believe that? Everybody thought that America was like the Rock of Gibraltar, solid, and it'll never change. That's nonsense. America is not the same country that we no. remember. It really isn't. And it's getting worse every day, you know, uh, in terms of the... Do you feel that it's time to move to make Aliyah? Well, <clears throat> you just have to be very uh, watchful. You'll know when the time comes, you know. But right now, you have to be aware and alerted to the fact that things are happening. You know, real things are happening, and they are not safe. Like I said, you know, Israel has entered a period that's very dangerous because Hamas broke the ice. And they attacked civilians in the center of Israel. So that means this can happen any time. And what's even worse is the Israeli Arabs rioted. And it was all over the Eretz Israel, which is even worse. Because how do you get rid of these guys? How do you address the problem of an enemy that lives within your within. borders? Yeah. Exactly. That's much worse. So Israel has now, you know, now, now entered a very dangerous period of time. And there's not even a government. And they, they, and they can't put a government together. 
They, they, they wonder, they, they, they can't believe this. Four elections, and each election, by the way, cost almost a billion dollars. Wow. Is, oh, yeah. Cost close to between two and three billion shkolem. That's wow. almost a billion dollars. Yeah. Each election. You're looking at four <laughs> elections, right? So you're looking between three and four billion dollars that they just wasted. And somebody told me that the amount of, they fired 4,000 rockets in Israel. So they, you know, the, uh, they, they fought them back with the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome. Yeah, but do you know how much it cost? Each rocket cost around $80,000. Each wow. Iron Dome missile. So imagine to take out 4,000 approximately. So if you figure it out, somebody told me it comes out to 800 million dollars that's what well, this 500 war... fell 500 fell back into gaza from that i mean i know it's not a lot but 500 did fall yeah. back in with gaza okay so it was, yeah that's fine so they saved uh, money for 500 but meanwhile uh could you imagine that uh, that the cost of the missiles is 800 million dollars that's besides mm-hmm. the cost of the rest of the ammunition and the army it's a fortune. For what? And the world is screaming at Israel that they can't defend themselves? You should know, it's, like, it's almost like we live in a fantasy world, like we live in Alice in Wonderland. It's hard to believe that rational thinking people can actually say this. But forget about the people. Look at the government. How can a guy like Bernie Sanders even suggest this? And the, and the Congress... And the Democratic Party, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that grown men who are politicians, career politicians, you see, who are supposed to be intelligent, how could they defend against an ally a terrorist group? It's like you don't believe it. That's he's Jewish. What was that? And he's Jewish. Bernie Sanders is Jewish. Exactly. Yes. Well, he's an incredible era of Rav. Yes. He must be a descendant of a convert. Well, he's a tremendous heir of Rav. Very evil Yeah, person. and all the Naturi Karta people that protest with the Palestinians and Hamas. Yeah, I'm not even... Who's even going into these people? And so on, such the enemy of the Jewish people. But, um, yeah. So we are watching fundamental changes in the relationship between the Jewish people and the entire world is ganging up on the Jews. It's incredible. So, so does, it say, does it say anywhere right before Mashiach that um, Hashem is going to pin everyone against uh, the Jews? It does. That's called the War of Goy Gamogoy, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. So maybe that's what it is, because if once the United States goes against Israel, it's not just the United States, it's the entire world going against Israel. So in many ways, this would be able to qualify for Goi because they sent min- missiles to Jerusalem, you see? Because Goi from the land of Mogoi is the ultimate opposition and war against the Jewish people. And really, this could qualify for that because it involved the United States 
that involves the anti-Semitism of the entire world. So maybe that's what it is. You see? So if that's the case, then we are very close. Or that? So, 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 Rabbi, so what, after, okay, so what does it say about Gog and Magog that, like, what's going to happen during that war? Like, what does it say so we know, like, what's co- what's coming up? Like, what, how does well, that war, emerge that it? war, yeah, that war theoretically is against the Mashiach, Ben Yosef. That's when it really is supposed to be. When the Mashiach Ben Yosef appears, and that war is against him and the Jewish people. Because the people of the world realize that the world is changing and that the redemption is about to begin. So it's, it's when evil wants to reassert itself for the last time. That's the equivalent of Egypt and the Greece uh, Yamsov. When the Egyptians, even after they were beaten, they ran after the Jews at the uh, Red Sea, the Reed Sea, and so on. So that's the same idea. When evil realizes it's ending, its reign over people is ending, and all of a sudden it tries to attack the Jewish people for the last time. That's what Goy Gamogah really is. So maybe this war is, even though Meshach Ben Yosef has not revealed himself, although I believe that he is alive, and that he is uh, hopefully preparing to come, maybe that this is really what it is. It's the war of Goyd and Magoyd, you know, at, uh, right before the Mashiach uh, presents himself. When, that, um, yeah. when all the nations go against Mashiach and Yosef, like you're talking about, that's already after we all, the Bet HaMikdash came down and we're already all in Israel. <clears throat> yes, theoretically that's when it should be, exactly. But you never know. Remember, God can change this plan. He can preempt that war before. You see that because he almost did that by Chizkiyo. It says that Chizkiyo, when he warred with Sancherov, right, he would have been Mashiach ben Yosef, and the war with Sancherov would have been Goygumogoyg. You see? So that's a long time ago. The reason why it didn't happen is because Chizkiyo didn't sing. He didn't, he didn't offer Shira to such a miraculous ness that the whole army, I think it was 183,000 soldiers, died in one night. And no disease can kill anybody that quick in one night. So he did not sing Shira, so therefore he was not appointed as a Mashiach ben Yosef. But so therefore we never know, you know, God can speed up or accelerate the messianic process of the war of Goygumogoy, and use some other event, which is very similar. Because remember, we're watching anti-Semitism throughout the entire world. You see? So maybe that's what it is. And that would be amazing. But I, I believe that we, we are leading up to something stunning, that something is going to happen to turn around everything. Because the critical thing that we're waiting for is the end of the decree of Golos, of exile. That is what we are waiting for. When the, it's bottomed out, and now the curve is going to begin to go up. So we are waiting for the end of the decree of exile, and the beginning of the reversal of exile, and the beginning of the redemption, which will begin slowly. 
But the key is the reversals. Because once you have that reversal, then the redemption is unstoppable and irreversible. So that's what we're waiting for. And I'm very hopeful that it will begin very shortly. In the middle of nowhere. Totally unexpected. Shock. You see. Rabbi, so you said the redemption process is very slow? Yes. Why? Why is the redemption slow? Yeah, why? If, 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 if he's ready to, to, you know, to bring us back and to redeem us, why, 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 why should it be slow? Well, let's go back to Egypt. Remember Egypt? Yeah. That's always the model. How long did it take to get redeemed? A long time. Right? It took a, a, year. a year. Why? Because Israel, the Jewish people, has to be brought back up to speed. You can't, the Mashiach cannot come and reveal that type of holiness. So it took time. So the beginning of the reversal in Egypt was the Makris. Because like I said once, that the Makris is not just a bro against Egypt. Each Mako had tremendous revelations of of divinity of spirituality each one you see so that has to come first that's a critical preparation because remember the key concept of the Mashiach is not a political redemption it's not only that the Jews now are free and there's no more anti-semitism and so on the key concept of the redemption is a spiritual revelation you see, that needs preparation. If you don't have preparation, nobody's going to be able to handle it, and they'll all die. That's why it's slow. <clears throat> because you cannot introduce a change with such speed. Because people cannot, they have to, you know, uh, uh, adjust to that type of revelation. Because that revelation is a game changer. We're not looking at another time we're looking at a paradigm shift. A whole different reality we're looking at. That needs time for the Jewish people to adjust to. That's why it takes time. Just like it took time in Egypt. You know? So right Rabbi, now... If there's a war of Bogu Magog, um, it's going to be like a war and a lot of people are going to die and then the... the descendants of Yafet will have a proper burial. There's going to be so much blood in the land of Israel. It's going to take them years to bury them. We're looking at a scary time coming up ahead if this is Gogu Magog. Yes, that would have been, but it won't be. Because what happened was is that the Holocaust absorbed the incredible damage that would have been done to the Jews. God, what he did is he did a tremendous favor to the Jewish people, you see. So instead of the Mashiach coming, and then you have Goygumogoy, you know, and then everybody's suffering, where it says that only one or two families from a city will survive. God did that already with the Holocaust, where only one or two families of a city survived. That's exactly what happened, you see. So therefore, since the Holocaust, it, it served many functions, you know, but one of the functions it served is that it, it stood for, 
you see, the redemption, the suffering of the redemption itself. And therefore, we won't have to go through that terrible type of suffering by the redemption. It already happened, you see. So therefore, uh, I in no way believe or think that we will have a Holocaust-type experience. God already did that. Because it says, you know, at the end of time, God will redeem the Jews with incredible mercy. To have a slaughter like that doesn't seem to be merciful. You see, as it says, Berega koten azavtich, Berega koten azavtich, I will abandon you, right? Only for a small second. Uberachemim gedolim, and with incredible great mercy, akapsech, I will gather you. So what God is saying, and mercy we know is always the suspension of justice. So what God is essentially saying is that in the end, there will be incredible mercy. So that is a change of the game plan. So therefore the Holocaust absorbed the terrible amount of destruction, you know, and, 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 uh, and killing and murder of the Jewish people in the, in the, in the Holocaust. So there will be confrontations, but it won't come. It won't be accompanied by the terrible slaughter of that event. You see. So don't worry. It'll be okay. It'll be scary. That's true, but it will not be what it was in the Holocaust. How could it be scary? How could it be scary if we have the Beit Hamikdash already and we know Mashiach and Yosef is there? Like, how could we be scared? We ha- we feel the presence of Hashem. We have the Mashiach next to us. I would feel unstoppable. I would be like, bring it on. Well, remember, <clears throat> that's only if the Beit Hamikdash is there. But right. what happens if God decides to do it before, which He could, right? I mean, for all we know, this could be the Gogumogag, uh, as I said, because the entire world is now ganging up on Israel. So now it could be very scary, because the Mashiach ben Yosef, although I believe he's alive, uh, but obviously he he is not in the position to be Mashiach ben Yosef. He has not received the crown, Yechida, of Adam Harishan. So therefore, it still could be very scary. You so see? What is, like, okay, let's say he, he, Mashiach Ben Yosef is, is living now. Like, what is he doing? Does he know? Does he, like, what? He's I'm, not aware yet. <clears throat> well, either <clears throat> there are two faces. Either he's aware. Either he's not aware of who he is, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu was unaware of who he was until 80 years old. Or he's aware, but it takes time for him to come out of his klipa, to come out of his own suffering. That takes time. Remember, Mashiach Ben Yosef is in a, he himself is one of the main people that suffer to try to help the Jews have atonement. I, I, I mentioned the Medrash before, you see. So he's got to get out of it himself, you see. And that takes time until he adjusts you see, himself to what he really can be. So all of this takes time. But whatever it is, you know, 
the it, this is compared when the sun rises correct what do you see when you look at dawn first the sky gets light that's amuna shacha you don't even see the sun you just see what's called the consequences of the sun the beginning of sunlight right but you don't see the sun so you could begin to wonder like why is it getting light and then all of a sudden the sun itself the orb of the sun begins to rise and that is sunrise but even then there's a certain amount of light you see and then the sun rises rises until by midday it's at the what's called the meridian and that is the greatest amount of light you see same idea the messianic era is the same thing first there will be some type of dawn a light something will happen where the jews realize something is going on here you see but that itself takes time because from dawn Amunashacha, until sunrise what is it takes about an hour whatever you see so first comes the dawn which is the beginning of the rise and then comes the sun which is the Mashiach but he himself has to leave his own prison so to speak until he himself manifests and that's the sun rising you see so therefore the uh, phenomenon of sunrise really demonstrates the uh, rising of the Mashiach and what happens you see that's how it's going to happen so let's hope it's going to happen shortly before this year is up you know I know I hear, I hear people are getting beat up in Brooklyn and they ask me are you Jewish and if you don't answer uh, like they want to beat you up yeah do so you see these people say you're not Jewish well, do you see people roaming? Do you actually see the that? The truth is, I, I came back to New Jersey. I was afraid. Uh-huh. Today at a yeah. pizza, kosher pizza store in the Upper East Side in Manhattan, they threw a brick through the window as people were sitting and eating, and they destroyed the whole thing. You mean they destroyed the whole window? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it wasn't the fire, was it? No, no. Oh, it was the anti Last week at the Diamond District, they did throw a bomb in front of a Jewish uh, diamond uh, store. Yeah. And it burnt a woman, a 55-year-old lady got burned. Wow. And they didn't even get arrested. Yeah, no, forget about arrest. That's gone. That's, a, that's another Igbo destruction of civilization. How could you not have a police force? It is beyond, uh, uh, you know, it's beyond measure. I mean, one of the things that Biden wants to get passed, which he won't, is he wants to enable any victim or any person that was arrested to be able to sue the cop. And he wants to federalize it where this will be true. It's already true in New York State. But he won't own New York City. He wants to bring it throughout the entire country. I mean, this man is, this Biden... He's insane. The man has no concept. It's like 
America now has a lunatic for a president. You see, he's not just senile. The guy's a lunatic. You know, he's crazy. How can you allow the, the uh, criminals to sue the cops? It's insane. So what's a cop going to do? He's going to hire a lawyer for hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend himself in court? It's unbelievable. So that's why police, uh, policemen all over the country, nobody's, uh, people are not going to be a policeman. It's a ridiculous job. But this is absurd. How can a civilization look at this and think this is rational? Of course it's not rational. You know, because you have a bunch of lunatics in Congress and a president who's an absolute moron running the country. They are destroying America. You see? And this is all part of the darkness. You uh, see? Rabbi, do you, the governor in, in, in Florida, they say he's like a great candidate for 2024. I mean, hopefully we don't have to get there and Mashiach comes before that. But Yes. Yeah. He, he, and I wouldn't be surprised if, that Trump would pick him for vice president because he's, he's not going to pick the other one. I think I think people rather him over Trump because they well that you know, is a, the, the, you know. The advan- yeah the advantage of him over Trump is age right. you know Trump is going to be then he's going to be about seventy eight whereas DeSantis I don't know how old he is but obviously he's much younger much younger look they got a long way off till uh, you know two thousand twenty four and a tremendous amount of things will happen you see. 